Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends, and welcome back to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share the latest information and leading-edge thoughts to support the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring Evolving Beyond Violence. If the age of Aquarius is supposed to bring love, unity, and enlightenment, why aren't we feeling the love? Why are we experiencing such an increase of conflict? According to Einstein, reality is created by frequency. Transition from one astrological age to another, which we're experiencing at this time, involves a shift in frequency patterning. When changing from one frequency or expression to another, there's a period of chaos as the old system dissolves, freeing the constituent parts to form the new. During this time, old rules no longer apply and the new ones have yet to manifest. One of many markers of a world in transition is an increase in fear and violence. Entering into an age of love, unity, and enlightenment is all well and good, but we still have to get there from here, and apparently the only way out is through. What do we do in the meantime? How can we mitigate the chaos? Is there a way to alleviate the violence? With us this episode to examine our options is Michael Nagler, Professor Emeritus of Classic and Comparative Literature at UC Berkeley, where he founded the Peace and Conflict Studies Program founder and president of the Meta Center for Nonviolence, author of Spiritual Crisis, The Nonviolence Handbook, and the award-winning Search for a Nonviolent Future. His writings have appeared in other venues, such as the Wall Street Journal, and he's spoken and written about nonviolence, meditation, and world peace for more than 30 years at campuses, public venues. Along with other awards, he received an international award promoting Gandhian values outside of India. His website medicinecenter.org. Michael, thanks for much, so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. 
Thank you, Gwilda. I'm delighted to be here. So, Michael, the world seems to be going mad. What's going on? <laughs> I think you described it very well uh, in your introduction, Gwilda, but I would uh, just look at the same thing at a different level. Uh, it's a question of paradigm shift, a question of a core narrative that is proving in every possible way to be insufficient, to say the least, and uh, demoralizing at worst. And so it's the deconstruction of that narrative, and we don't yet have the new narrative quite in place. Now, I maintain that we need to finish the new narrative. It, it hasn't really been completely worked out yet. And then, of course, we have the bigger problem of getting it installed, getting it to be the core narrative that people carry around without thinking about it in their minds and hearts. And I guess my, in the course of my long career, I, I've come to feel that nonviolence is the key in both those ways, That uh, in ways that I'd be happy to explain. <laughs> we need to understand the human capacity for nonviolence to finish the story as an intellectual construct, uh, as a pattern for explaining the world. And then we need to use nonviolent methods to make the changes happen that will help us to adopt the new story. And I have a why, colleague in North... Why are, Sorry, go why ahead. Are we, why are we seeing such an acceleration in violence at this point? Even children are killing children. Well, uh, I'm afraid partly that's a cumulative effect, uh, primarily of the mass media. The mass media convey the old story in a very potent way. And in that old story, we are material bodies, which is very low... Uh, vibration in Einsteinian terms and therefore we are separate from one another and therefore we need material goods to be fulfilled and uh, therefore we live in a universe of scarcity and we've got to compete with one another to be successful and happy and uh, you know as one of the as the Bhagavad Gita says in chapter 7, when we're born as human beings, we fall into maya, or the illusion of separateness. And now that's been greatly exaggerated by this tremendously powerful cultural form of the mass media. And so the effect of that is uh, cumulative. You know, when I grew up, I didn't have a television set in my home. And then um, now I, we're living in a world where parents and teachers have all grown up on television, and this is a very deleterious influence. It sure is. You know, you, you speak also of us being in a spiritual crisis. What is that exactly? Yeah, yeah it's, a crisis of, uh, it's a crisis of values, and it's a crisis of attention and a crisis of where we're going to put our tremendous capacity to desire. You know, I, there's a very, it's a kind of a devastating quote from Anandamayi Ma, one of the greatest mystics of all time, uh, that I, I like to think, well, I don't like to think of it, but I'm forced to think of it from time to time. It goes like this. Man, meaning human being, seems to be the embodiment of want, Want is what he thinks about, and want is what he obtains. Contemplate your true nature. 
or else there will be want, wrong action, despair, and death. So what is our true nature? Our true nature is the spiritual unity that undergirds all existence, which is now... How how do we get disconnected from that? I mean, we're sitting in the middle of it here. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we in the West have always been uh, a, a trifle disoriented from that compared to some of the other ancient civilizations. And then I, I think most people would agree with me, most people who think about this stuff at all would agree with me that uh, the Industrial Revolution was a turning point. It was a big mistake in that regard. I always like to point to this coincidence that on December 28th, I think 1898, there were two breakthroughs which kind of define our age. One was the discovery of the X-ray by Wilhelm Röntgen, and the other was the first time that a commercial movie was shown to the general public. So we had the the birth of the atomic age and the birth of modern media happened on the same day, one, one in Germany and one in France. Mm, okay. And, uh, so yeah, so we have made th- we've accelerated the change, for better or for worse. And, and as this, uh, but you know, it's it's not just it's not just humans. All natural systems are in crisis at this time. Have humans caused it, or are we just responding to the same thing as everything else? No, I I think humans have. I, I think nature has a natural self-replicating and self-renewing balance and. We have uh, skewed it drastically by, you know, killing off species, and I don't, I don't want to go into the whole litany of what we've done to the planet, but it's all been done because we haven't contemplated our true being, and so we have wrong desires, and we think we need to cut down all the forests, and we need to, you know, eat, graze cattle where they used to but- be. Have we been living in a time that the overall frequency supports that separateness? Um, I'm not sure I can fully understand that, Gwilda. I, I think we're, we're in a crisis of two opposing tendencies, one towards separateness and materialism, which is coming to a crisis, coming to an end, especially around the question of how do we deal with conflict. And the other is a growth of unity. And I, I like to look at the, the confluence of two things which have come together in the West as they have never been since the 12th century. <laughs> One is the rediscovery of the wisdom tradition and its universal teachings across all cultures, including indigenous ones. And the other is this incredible uh, explosion uh, that we sometimes call uh, new science, where on the physical level, we're, we're discovering what they call non-locality, which is their term for the unity of life. We're discovering the primacy of consciousness. We're discovering the primacy of cooperation over competition in evolution. These are fantastic discoveries, completely resonant with what the wisdom traditions have always told us. Uh, But now they come together if you want to pay attention to that sort of thing. And then I think the third component... Sorry. Why why are they coming together at this particular time? I think it's the desperation. We we know we need them. I think uh, unconsciously we're desperately trying to get back uh, 
to what wisdom has always taught us, but we've pinned our faith in science. And so we look to science to get us back there. And by golly, it's, it's working. And I, I was going to add, I think there's a third thing that's really, really going in our favor, and that is the tremendous discovery of nonviolence. Well, nonviolence is, sounds like a really good thing at this point. I mean, we're looking out there, and it's, it's getting pretty wild and crazy. We will have to yep. take a commercial break. Um, on the other side, though, we'll get deeper into nonviolence and how, what we can do to help ourselves get there. <laughs> Michael and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. See you on the other side of the break. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo-TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games, no need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. live in rapidly shifting times of extreme volatility and uncertainty. Such profound change brings a unique opportunity for the evolution of consciousness. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of Mission Evolution Radio Show, a program that explores the latest scientific developments and deepening spiritual truths supporting human evolution. Join me on xzbn.net where I interview leading experts in science, physics, medicine, spirituality, and more. 
By applying divergent viewpoints to leading-edge topics, we uncover expansive and evolutionary truth to assist you on your path to enlightenment. More information and past episodes are available at missionevolution.org. back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To stay abreast of all the wonderful information and tools we have to offer, visit our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Michael Nagler, his website, metacenter.org. Michael, how did you get involved or interested in nonviolence? Yeah, that's a very good question, Gilda. Well, I, I guess partly I just was kind of a naturally anti-violent person. I think being the smallest kid in my public school had something to do with it. But I owe a lot, I think, to both my parents in this regard. And uh, then in 1966, I met uh, Sri Eknathishwaran, who has been ever since then my meditation teacher, my guru, he knew Gandhi. He had met Gandhi and was, uh, though he wasn't political himself, Ishran, he was deeply, deeply influenced uh, by Gandhi. And through, through his eyes, I began to see that Gandhi was, on the one hand, a much greater figure than I had thought. But on the other hand, uh, he was uh, much less inaccessible than I had thought. You know, you, you could do things, you could follow disciplines, which would uh, get you a little bit of his consciousness. And so then at that point, I was looking for a way to make more practical sense out of my teaching career at Berkeley. And I started the Peace and Conflict Studies program and really delved into the study of nonviolence. Then a critical moment for me was the Tiananmen Massacre in uh, 1989, because uh, we who were in the field knew that the students who were protesting in Tiananmen Square were making some huge tactical mistakes that were very dangerous. And yet, at that point in time, we couldn't reach them. There, were, there was no internet. So we had to stand by and watch the massacre happen, which was really heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. I, I was, you know, I was a teacher after all. I was working with people of that age group all day long. So that has basically become the defining mission of the Meta Center, which is to help people practice nonviolence more safely and more effectively. So you know, it's, I, I've it's, dedicated my life to that. And thank you for it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how many ancient myths, legends, and schools of thought and prophecies point to this particular time as one of great change. What is the source of that change? Well, I think it's uh, pretty much what we were saying before. Well, we're, we're coming to the end of a paradigm, if you will, or an old story, or whatever you want to call it. It's crumbling on every side. And uh, so people are desperate for change. Uh, I, have a, I have a colleague who says, the only question is whether this change is going to be gentle or catastrophic. And that question is going to be decided by how vividly and persuasively we can develop uh, the new paradigm. How were the you know, ancients able? How were the ancients able to predict this change? 
You know, it's I pretty accurate. Don't. It, yeah, I, I honestly don't know that. I, I remember we heard from um, a shaman recently in Berkeley. I, he was a, a Aleut, I think, from Alaska. And he, that was in the 2012 era. Everyone's very excited about that. And he said, you know, we aren't that accurate. <laughs> so, I, you know, I honestly don't know. I, it's a miracle. And I, I stand in awe. But uh, I, I, I guess if I had to make a guess as to how they can do that, I think people can sometimes, when they get their mind under some control and some reasonably still, they can see through the mind into deeper currents of reality. For example, in ancient India, sages were able to determine the age of the universe pretty accurately uh, without any instruments. Yeah, you know, we have, well, the Mayan calendar. The only way the Mayan calendar is as accurate as it is is because it's built upon the cycles and within cycles of where we are in the the universe. Now, how, I mean, in the galaxy, Mm -hmm. how on earth did the Mayans, without even so much as a telescope, figure that out? Yeah. Well, I like to think that it may not have been what we generally think of as the mind, but a deeper current of intuition that only becomes accessible to us when the mind, as we know it, uh, quietens down. I mean, that's, isn't that what meditation is all about? Getting the mind to be more focused and more still so that we can sense these things that are part of something much greater than ourselves. And yet everything we're exposed to demands that the mind stay on deck and figure things out from our educational system to media, etc., yeah, you know, Swami Vivekananda, after he'd been in this country for a while, this is a little over 100 years ago now, he said, the trouble with you people is you're doing, you're teaching everything for the mind and you're ignoring the heart and that will only make you more greedy and that will be the death of you. Mm-hmm. Sorry to say no that, truer words, think, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, we would appear to be in a storm between two worlds or realities. Mm-hmm. Or as some indigenous people call it, stories. How do we find our way through this storm? I I think we uh, cling to the new story. We jump into it with full faith. And when I say faith, I don't mean blind faith. I mean we take it on as a hypothesis. Maybe we are mind, body, and spirit. Maybe maybe we are deeply interconnected. Maybe when we act as though life were a unity, it works better. And we try that out, and we find, by golly, it works. You know, we had an American military commander in Iraq recently, and he was saying, we're creating terrorists faster than we can kill them. On the other hand, you have upwards of 20 American service people committing suicide every day. Now, why is that? It's because they have deeply, deeply violated their own inner nature. On the other hand, people who are practicing nonviolence, I've yet to hear of somebody committing suicide because they were in the civil rights movement or something like that. So um, where does this story come from? Who writes it? Well, you know, that is a critical question, and I wish I had a a pat radio-type answer for it. (laughs) We... uh, I'm not sure. I think we all 
Well, each of us wants to do two things, needs to do two things. We need to understand the new story intellectually and live it out. I urge people who are being activists to explain why they're doing what they're doing. Because I think that combination of words and action is powerful. So you, you often have people who say, right now, in my town, in Petaluma, there's been a huge demonstration for animal rights. And the animal rights demonstrators, when asked why they are doing this, well, isn't well, isn't it isn't isn't it projection? I mean, aren't we projecting projecting our angst onto the world around us? Well, we're always doing that. Yeah, yeah it seems. What, but that seems That's, what activism is about. I mean, are we along for the ride here, or do we have some influence on outcome? I think we have more influence than we know, and we can deepen that influence the closer we get to the truth. This is why I was just. Uh, Saying, you know, the, if these activists say that these animal, these factory farmers are violating the law, that's all well and good. But why don't they say, you know, when you hurt another creature, you're hurting yourself because all life is one consciousness. Now, at first, people would say, what? You know, is this some kind of woo-woo, Berkeley, California nonsense? But I think eventually, because it's true and because it will be backed up by our actions, it will become that new story written and broadcasted and, and filmed and so forth. Do we have to come out of denial and face what's really going on in order to, to, to create the new story or align with the new story? Partly, yes, I would say, Gwilda. I, I think the, there is a tendency for people to, quote, come out of denial and cling to the negative and then get kind of sucked into it. So I find that the biggest denial, if you will, is the denial of our unity, the, the denial of the glory of human nature. You know, there was a policeman in Toronto recently who's had to apprehend somebody had just plowed his van into a crowd of people. No, I guess that was Ottawa. And the driver got out of the van and made threatening gestures and said, I have a gun. And the policeman said, very calmly, I don't care, and walked up to him and uh, took care of it. And the, the journalist said, look, I'm paid to understand stuff like this, but I don't understand what just went on. So I, I think that you're seeing a symptom of that denial. We deny that we have an instinct for self-sacrifice, and we cling to the instinct for, uh, self, for survival. And they're both there. You know, it's like they say in the Native American story, which wolf are you going to feed? Mm, yeah, that's so beautifully put, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do we create our reality through our beliefs and stories? Well, I think uh, to a much larger extent than we realize, we do create our, our outer as well as our inner reality. You know, Bruce Lipton, Lifton, the uh, biologist, has shown that our belief system, the, the robustness of our faith, actually determines the longevity of our bodies through the genes. As they've discovered which part of a chromosome now is affected by its environment, and that environment includes our consciousness, our mental environment. Well, we're so going to have to take... 
we're going to have to take another short pause. Michael <laughs> and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. So, listeners, you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, 
Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. Maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing leading-edge information, supporting the path to enlightenment. Don't miss all the wonderful things we have to offer on our website, including a blog, and that would be at missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiyaka, and we're speaking with Michael Nagler, his website, metacenter.org. So how do we rewrite a new story? If we're creating our reality through our beliefs and stories, how do we rewrite a new story? Good question. <laughs> I asked the Meta Center, we've developed five steps that every person can pick up. And by the way, Meta is with two T's in this case. It's the Buddhist term, Meta, meaning loving kindness or nonviolence. So, first of all, we need to backpedal and get our minds liberated to the greatest degree possible from the miasma of commercial and other messages that are conveyed all the time in the commercial mass media. Then when we've cleared up a little bit of that space, the next thing we recommend is that people learn about nonviolence. So learn everything you can about it. There's a history, a theory, a way to practice it. And that's tremendous amount of information has been generated in the last, oh, even in the last five years, it's accelerating. And of course you can, uh, attend to alternative media like Mission Evolution Radio or our program, Nonviolence Radio, that comes out of KWMR in California and is on our website. And thirdly, uh, pick, take up a spiritual practice if you don't already have one. Fourth, with these three things, you will have really uh, harmonized and clarified your personality, and we recommend that you overcome the tendency in the modern age to isolate yourself from other people and just be more personal all the time. Get together in little groups and try and talk with people who disagree with you and so forth. And then finally, it's time to get up off the cushion and swing into action and pick an issue that you think can make a critical difference and which matches your personal capacities and again, whatever you're doing, whatever you're acting on, be prepared to explain why in terms of the new story or the new paradigm. 
So wait a minute. Oh. I, I, I need clarification on that piece. So you're saying pick yeah. a topic or a subject that seems to be out of balance and offer a uh, new, new uh, reframe it? Well, I'm thinking more of actual acting. Uh, for example, I just mentioned these uh, people who are protesting animal cruelty in Petaluma. All the way across the, the world, you have people who are trying to sail into Gaza. So do you, do you think we have to be activists to rewrite a new story, to write a new story? Well, I think there, let me put it this way, Gilda, I think there has to be activists. I'm not sure every one of us has to do it in quite the same uh, confrontational manner. I think that's an individual question. But uh, we should support those who do. And whoever, uh, whatever you're doing, arguing or just having a conversation with your brother-in-law or protesting a nuclear plant, be prepared to explain, I'm doing this because life is a unity and we need to refine ourselves. We need to create loving community. But activism is a bit polarized in its own right, isn't it, sometimes? It, it's a bit polarizing. You know, Gandhi said uh, that he had lanced the boil, so to speak. He was releasing pent-up energies. It wasn't, the polarization was there, but it was built into the, the system. It's what we call structural violence. And Martin Luther King said exactly the same thing. People accused him of raising up this anger, and he said, we did not create outbursts of anger. And I think this is one of the most important things he ever said. We expressed anger under discipline for maximum effect. So we all have anger inside of us. Some of it is caused by injustice. And what are we going to do with that anger? I think the thing to do after those five steps of preparation, this will be very effective. The thing to do is to go into constructive work to redress the balance. And at times that may be confrontational. And yeah, that may lead to difficulties. I mean, a hundred people have been killed in Nicaragua in the last Well, you know, month. yeah, I don't, I just don't, it seems to me like what you're talking about is feeding the uh, conflict rather than overriding it. So what exactly is nonviolence? Yeah, I don't think in this case we're feeding the conflict. I think we're releasing it into more, into a, space. You were talking about denial before. Mm -hmm. So some of the huge injustices in our society are a form of denial. We go around saying, oh, well, too bad, there's homeless people, nothing we can do about it. And that's a denial of the fact that we have caused this by our greed and our lack of compassion. So nonviolence is first and foremost, that power I was just describing in the individual which comes con from converting anger or fear into a constructive power. And that, that power will, another way of looking at it, I think, uh, is, is that even if someone is your opponent, they're hating you, they're threatening you, inside them, there's an awareness that they do not want to do that. Now, when you act nonviolently toward them, you are like holding up a mirror to that deeper awareness which they themselves are not conscious of and helping them to be conscious of it. So that's how it works. So what is the state of art of nonviolence? Oh, 
Well, I, I give whole lectures on this. Well, it's going to be hard <laughs> well, to boil it, it down. In, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. In a nonviolent nutshell, it is developing both quantitatively and qualitatively. We've now passed the point where half the people in the world have experienced a major nonviolent manifestation of some kind in their country. And qualitatively, we are advancing, for example, up until the time of Gandhi and King, there was almost no way to learn nonviolence formally. But now we have uh, every we have a rich scholarly field that's emerging. And we have activists who are putting together their best practices and making them available to actors in other parts of the world. We have new institutions. We have new demographics. We have in our country here, for example, we have the native, actually all over the world, indigenous people are rising up in defense of the planet. And they're doing it in a coordinated way. And in most cases, they're drawing upon nonviolent resources in their own cultures. So and that's huge. The I mean, these people, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's huge. Go ahead. What's the relationship between nonviolence and the new story? Oh, intimate. <laughs> in my own personal career, I got interested in the new story because I thought we needed it in order to explain nonviolence. And I still think that's true. But I now also think, and I'm trying to finish a book on this subject, I now also think that the new story needs nonviolence as badly as nonviolence needs the new story. Because the new story has to give us a new image of who we are. And as Gandhi said, and I believe him, the law of our being is the law of nonviolence. If we don't understand that we have a capacity to offer nonviolence and a, con and a capacity to respond to it when it's offered, then we don't fully know who we are. Well, it seems like we're so, going around in yeah. circles in a way. It's like, um, is nonviolence a compensation to get us through the storm until we can write another story? Or do we have to write another story before we experience nonviolence? <laughs> is it the chicken or the egg? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just think we need to work on both. They're going to reinforce each other. I definitely feel this, that when we can act nonviolently in the truest sense of the word, the Gandhian sense of the word, we are living the new story. Just, just give you one example. In the Salt Satyagraha, the climax of the freedom struggle in India in spring of 1930, Gandhi knew perfectly well that he might be arrested. He knew perfectly well that the 75 followers coming with him from the ashram would be arrested, that all the nonviolent leaders would be arrested. So he explained to everyone, and I'm talking hundreds of millions of people, you're going to be your own leader when we're gone. Now, partly that was a wonderful strategic move, but partly he was evoking people's sense of urgency, of agency, excuse me, their sense of responsibility. And one of the big, big lies about the prevailing story is that we're helpless, we're determined by our genes or neurotransmitters or something, and it's just, you know, a motion of random particles in the universe. Uh, and the new story is, whoa, no, that is not true. We are, as a the Buddha said, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. 
we control our thoughts, we control our destiny. So that awakening the agency, the sense of responsibility and the, the capacities of the individual who is participating and even the individual who is opposing you is a way in which nonviolent practice, truly nonviolent practice, actually embodies the new story. And it helps to be able to explain that consciously. So it sounds like you're speaking about in order to truly embrace a new story, we have to come out of victimhood and take responsibility for creating the old one in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I studied in... Uh, we're we're going to have to pick up on that. We're going to have to pick up on that concept and on the other side of yet another quick break. Michael and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, sci-fi, and horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Exposé Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. The concept of a new age has been around since the late 19th century, yet much of its original meaning has been lost. What exactly is the new age? Is it a religion, a collection of obscure esoteric practices, a series of doomsday predictions, or an astrological event? The New Age Chronicles is a unique, complementary publication bringing reason and grounded information to separate fact from fiction. 
chock full of valuable information to support you as we make the monumental shift into the new era. You won't want to miss a single innovative issue. The New Age Chronicles newspaper is coming soon to www.newagechronicles.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our guest this hour is Michael Nagler. His website, meta, that's M-E-T-T-A, metacenter.org. Michael, we were talking about the news story. And mm-hmm. what do you think is a, are the major obstructions between us and writing it? Gosh, I, I think the major expre- uh, obstruction is our habit of mind, which has locked us into the old story. Um, the vast uh, just majority. Just a second. Is, is, is habit of mind like our, our burnt neurological ruts? Is that what you're talking about there? You know, uh, the habit of mind will create its own neural pathways. I think that's part of the new science. And, you know, neuroplasticity tells us, which is the opposite of what I was told when I was in medical school many years ago, briefly. Uh, I was told that uh, you got a certain set of neurons, they have a certain array of connections, and that is it. But now we know that neurons are forming and reconnecting with one another all the time. And the way that we think uh, influences. So it uses those neurons as a uh, a memory system, a mnemonic, as you will, if you will. And yeah, we influence our brains by what we think. And, And when we think in terms of the new story, we have a certain neural setup that supports us. And it does make it harder for us to change it. But as we were saying before, the old story is collapsing on every side. It's uh, sort of blowing up in our face. And uh, at some point, historically, human cultures, human societies have very often stepped back and said, whoa, you know, this is not working. We are going the wrong way. For example, uh, in New Zealand, when people were given guns, by Captain Cook, they commenced killing each other at a drastic rate. And uh, then they stepped back and said, whoa, you know, this is horrible. We've got to get out of this somehow. And the, they found a very clever way to get out of it. They adopted Christianity. Guess what? And when you first adopt Christianity, you, you take it seriously. So they had to stop killing one another in the name of their new religion. So one way or another, I think the sheer desperation is going to force people to look around for an alternative. And if we have a persuasive, coherent alternative ready for them, uh, I think we can get out of this very quickly. I'm not making any predictions, but I think it's possible. I'm hoping it's possible. The the alternative yeah. doesn't look real nice. Yeah. So is the operating is is this like an operating system? The new story, like we're moving from it, Windows Seven to Windows yeah. Ten. <laughs> That's not a bad analogy. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, a cultural operating system, if you will. Yeah, it's a set of assumptions. Everything is tested by those assumptions. 
in the old set, nonviolence didn't make any sense, so it was discarded. And, you know, if you're familiar with uh, Thomas Kuhn's book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, it started off this whole awareness of paradigms. He shows that at a certain point, all these little uh, anomalies that you can't account for, they suddenly become what he calls counter instances. They're trying to tell us something. And then a set of uh, kind of pioneers takes those somethings and creates a coherent story out of it. And then people start adopting the new story here, there, and everywhere. You get these early adopters. And before you know it, you've got a shift. So how many people um, coming into agreement is it going to take to reprogram this story? Interesting. You know, Einstein said it took 5%, but we have some new evidence. There's an amazing book by Erica Chenoweth and Maria Stefan called Why Civil Resistance Works. And uh, I wish I could remember the exact figure, but I think it was like 1.3 or 1.5% of the population adopts a big change like this, and it can spark, it can catalyze the whole shift. You said that that the old uh, story is is crumbling around us. What happens if we are unable to write a new one? We die. (laughs) I think uh, either through... Uh, direct uh, annihilation, like through a nuclear war, or through the slow, somewhat slower choking out of the life support system of the planet. If we can't uh, change to a new story, I don't think we'll survive. So you really think the future of the world is up to us? Oh, yes, very much so. And, uh, you know, you were asking earlier, Gulda, about a a percentage. I don't think it's just a bold number. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has shown that there are certain people who are what he calls a a tipping point people who are influencers. So one of them can bring along hundreds of others. So it's not just quantitatively how many people we can reach, but can we reach enough of the most important ones? So the ones that are the movers and the shakers, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's an old term for it, which will do quite nicely. <laughs> what what needs to happen for the new story to become our paradigm? Well, I, I guess uh, we need to accelerate our development of the story both as a story, as a narrative that we explain to people, that we tell, and as concrete examples, uh, of which there are many, many hundreds, you know, probably hundreds of thousands, really, of experimental programs going on all the world, or all over the world. There's new businesses, you know, benefit corporations, my publisher, Barrett Kohler, being one of them. There are uh, transition towns, There are all kinds of experiments which so far have not cohered. They have not pulled together. And that's, I think, what's the missing piece. They need need to pull together, become conscious of who they are, that they are, in fact, the harbingers of a new world, to be able to explain that and to act appropriately. This is exciting times. Yeah. It's exciting times yeah. because we see pockets of 
real major solutions mm -hmm. all over the place, oh, yeah. just kind of popping up like these beautiful little flowers, but they're not yeah. a garden yet. They're not the new way of, of living a sustainable future. How well, do we pull put, it together? <laughs> well, give you an ex I'll give you an example. Uh, we work very closely with a group called Nonviolent Peace Force, and what they do is they train people and support them financially to go into conflict areas and mitigate those conflicts. And they've done some incredibly courageous things in the shadows. Nobody knows about this. But through a very good friend of mine, Mel Duncan, they've been working on the UN for some 10 years now. And by golly, the, new, the UN has responded. They now have several conferences based on un, what they call unarmed civilian peacekeeping. And it's starting to make its way into the discourse of the world body. So that's an example of how these things do pull together and do percolate into the mainstream of consciousness. Will it happen fast enough? Whoa, I hope so. <laughs> that's so do you. Yeah, we're dancing a razor's edge, aren't we? But it, but it yeah, is heartening. Sure. It is heartening to look out there and see new technology coming on, new science coming on, yeah. all of which are paradigm shifters in, in and of themselves, if we can get the word out. And of course, that's what this show is about. It sounds like that's what you're about. <laughs> sure sounds like it. Good luck to the both of us. Says I. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I've got about a minute left, so I'm going to drop a big one on you. What are the <laughs> metaphysics of compassion? <laughs> the metaphysics of compassion is the, the resonance with that deeper reality that we all share, that we are connected with one another. And uh, through the phenomenon known as mirror neurons, we actually trigger that awareness in the brain structures of another person and evoke it, awaken it. And uh, the, that's about the closest we can get, I think, to understanding how that works nowadays. There's subtle energy and that impacts our, even our neural structures and so just as we can influence one another through anger, but that's short-lived, we can influence one another through compassion, and that has a deeper change. So basically, if we carry the Kuan Yin, or the compassionate, detached nature, it sets up a resonance for other people to align with. Is that correct? That, as I understand it, Gilda, that is perfectly correct and very hopeful. I am too. I am too. So are you telling me the best thing we can do is to nurture our own inner, inner being? That is the most important and best thing we can do. Yeah. And find out how to nurture it. That's why we have those five steps that we recommended at, at the heart of our roadmap in the meta centers scheme. Uh, and I, I, different people I think will find different ways of expressing that in the outside world and more power to them. But I think most of us in this business are agreed nowadays that you have to undergird that with it's, interchanges. It's an inside job. Well, you know, as always, time has flown, and now we're out of it, Michael. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the show. You're so welcome, Gilda. Thank you for having me. Our guest this hour has been Michael Nagler, founder and president of the Meta Center for Nonviolence and author of Our Spiritual Crisis, the Nonviolence Handbook, and the award-winning Search for a Nonviolent Future. His website, metacenter.org. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. 
This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiyaka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing information and resources and support to an evolving world. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you, or is someone you know, struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.